Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you, as always. So glad that you're tuning in to today's podcast. Listen, if you have missed any of the uh, uh, past podcasts, I encourage you to go to iTunes, go on SoundCloud, find Stand Strong in the Word podcast, and we make it convenient for you where we post it on our website, standstrongministries.org. Click on podcast. And boom, it lands you right there, and you can check out all of the, the podcasts we've posted. And as a reminder, we also provide study notes. So if you like to dig deeper, if you want to print them out or download the PDF onto your computer or device, you can do that at standstrongministries.org. Now listen, if this podcast has been a huge blessing, it's enriched you, it's helped you, it's given you good perspective as we're going through a chronological reading, and you think that your family, some of your family members or some of your buddies would really love to engage on these topics as we're going through this chronological teaching, man, please share with them about what we're doing here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. This is fairly new, as I mentioned before in our ministry. And so if this has been a blessing, I encourage you guys to drop a donation at standstrongministries.org. Send us a note at info at standstrongministries.org. Let us know how this has been a blessing to you. And please, please, please share it as much as you possibly can on social media and other areas that can really get people to engage about um, not just not just about what we're learning through the Gospels, but really to get a, a a better understanding of the Bible, and that's the key. And you guys know my heart. There are so many biblically illiterate Christians, and it breaks my heart. And that's one reason why we're doing what we're doing. The main reason is because we worship Jesus. We love Jesus. We love to be in his word and we just pray through these teachings through this opportunity that we can have together that it can inspire us collectively as a community of brothers and sisters in Christ to go out there and to help other people who are struggling in their faith. That's the key. So I just want you guys to be encouraged by that. Now, listen, if you go back to our last podcast, we begin in John chapter three, and this is probably the most passionate most personalized, most, um, I would say, famous passage in all of Scripture with Nicodemus and Jesus. And out of it, of course, comes John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And of course, the world knows that verse. And we're very thankful for that, but a lot of people have cheapened it. But the point is, we saw that Nicodemus had questions and he goes and he pursues Jesus. And Jesus, who is the Son of God has this encounter with Nicodemus. And we see later on throughout the Gospels, we'll be seeing in you know, later uh, podcasts, that Nicodemus had a change of heart. He becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful passage. We talked about what Jesus meant about being born again. And now in today's podcast, we continue that study in John chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 36. And so we're going to go from the study of Nicodemus on the last podcast in this encountership with Jesus about being born again and what that means to now going back to John the Baptist. Now, this is one of the things I want to say as we're setting up this passage of scripture. This is one of the last times that we're going to be, matter of fact, it is the last time 
uh, really that you see John free out there doing ministry because later on we'll see some communication he has with some of his disciples when he's in prison before he dies. But right here, right now in John three twenty two through 26 or 36, John the Baptist is still out there baptizing. And here's one of the things I want to point out before I jumped in. I made a note of this because it really, really hit me. And it's something I talked about in previous podcasts as we begin to explore the ministry and the person of, of John the Baptist. And now, again, as you know, as a fellow guy in the ministry for many years as a pastor, helping church leaders, helping families, helping parents, helping young people, one of the things that has really hurt uh, my heart through the years is seeing the disconnect with a lot of Christians. And one of the reasons for that that I found is is the competition. A lot of people get in the ministry for the right reasons, but eventually because they take their eyes off of Jesus and they start focusing on other people, their talent, their education, their roles, where they're ministering at, the size of their church, what kind of book deals they have, what kind of venues they're speaking at, who their friends are, you know, what kind of money they get as a result, whatever the case may be. They get envious, they get they get jealous, and eventually, if they don't deal with this, and it, and it just becomes this big thing in their life, and their their self motivation now is is really fleshly. It's really carnal. It's really self absorbed into them into what they want to achieve. But they put the disclaimer, "Oh, this is for the glory of God," but it really isn't. It destroys them, and I cannot tell you how many people I've seen go um, strong in the beginning with a focus of serving God, getting plugged into a great local church or parachurch, and they're doing great, but then they let envy and jealousy um, become a big thing in their heart, and it destroys them, and, and their ministry is done. And it's so sad, and the reason I want to stress that before we start diving in about John the Baptist and his disciples going over to Jesus, and Jesus' disciples baptizing, is that we need to look back again at this story of John the Baptist and the role that he played. Because see here, what we're going to be learning about is when Jesus comes on scene and he begins selecting more disciples and they begin to baptize, John the Baptist, what he does rather than try to refute Jesus or try to put Jesus in his place or try to compete against Jesus, he reduces his role. So the more active that Jesus' disciples become in baptizing, the less active John is. Once again, John shows such grace and humility. He didn't uh, envy Jesus. He worshiped Jesus. He wasn't jealous uh, about what Jesus had. He was jealous for his love in a good and healthy way. Now, as I mentioned earlier, after this period of time, shortly after this, this account that we're going to be reading in 22 through 36 of John 3, John is imprisoned and eventually he is killed in Matthew 4, 12. We read this in Mark 1, 14, Luke 4, 14 through 15, and John 4, verses 1 through 3. You can read those on your own time to get kind of perspective here. So I just say that just to encourage us as we're going through this is that, you know what, if there's any envy or competition, or jealousy in your heart. You need to give that to the Lord. Because ultimately, I've titled this passage, The Greatest of All Time. And ultimately, Jesus is the greatest of all time. Now, I know we have bands that we think are the greatest of all time, which, of course, I think is you two. But anyway, that's subjective, and to some people would say. Um, but, you know, some people could say, this is the greatest movie of all time. This is the greatest book or author of all time. This is the greatest podcast of all time, whatever the case may be. But we know that Jesus 
is the greatest of all time. Then we have shows out there. You know, I watch sports uh, casts sometimes and, and people that are doing interviews or speculating. Of course, if you guys know, I'm a big Pats fan. And so they're, everyone's saying Tom Brady. Now, I, hold on. Let me just rephrase. Most people are saying that Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. He is the GOAT. And so there's a lot of debate that people have out there. But when it comes to Jesus, hands down, there's no competition, right? Jesus is the greatest of all time. And the cool thing is, John the Baptist continued that message loud and clear until the very end. And that is so, so powerful for us to remember and also through conviction, make sure that we apply in our lives. Okay, so let's dive right back into what I was reading in John chapter 3 and beginning in verse 22. Listen to these words. Now, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. Now, remember, after what? After the time that he had with Nicodemus, he goes into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. Now, John also was baptizing at Enon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now, discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He, meaning Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease." Verse 31 says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son. And has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Well, those are powerful words. And so let's let's just dive right into this and kind of understand this particular passage of Scripture. Now, the first thing I want to point out, because again, this is what John directs in Scripture in verse 22, and we oftentimes overlook this, but it says that after the, the, the inter, interaction that he had with Nicodemus, he takes some of his disciples and he goes into the Judean countryside in verse 22. Now, let me explain why I think this is important. Jesus had already gained national interest with his baptism in this particular area by the Jordan, remember? Or I should say in the Jordan, the Jordan River. And the public approval of John the Baptist was very strong in this region. Therefore, it was very important for Jesus as he was starting out before he goes into Galilee to really start building up some momentum and to gather people that were under the teachings of John the Baptist who was preparing the way for Jesus to come and take what was ripe from what the followers of John uh, the Baptist had done and had learned and were actively engaged in to then be a part as a continuation of what Jesus had done. 
or what Jesus was, I should say, was going to be, what was going to be doing for the next few years. Now, I want to pause here and just go back a minute, if I may. We have to remember when it came to Nicodemus, Nicodemus was brilliant. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He knew the Jewish scriptures, right? He knew the word of God. And yet he did not know Jesus, but yet he went to pursue Jesus. He had many questions. He was very inquisitive. And of course, we see throughout scripture, we're going to see this in later podcasts, that Nicodemus converted. He became a follower. He himself became a disciple. Now, he wasn't probably with Jesus every day like the 12 were, as we know, but it didn't mean he wasn't a disciple. There are many followers of Christ that did not um, um, follow and walk with Jesus and live with Jesus and sleep among Jesus as the 12 did. So Nicodemus becomes a disciple. And one of the things that we see in the parallel between John the Baptist and Nicodemus is that they follow Jesus through and through. They were obedient to the Jewish scriptures. They were obedient to what we refer to as the Old Testament and the fulfillment that Christ had in the Old Testament. So they did their part. And so here we see as G- John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus to now to continue this new thing, is more like a continuation, Nicodemus, in a period of his ministry, was basically stuck. He, he knew the word, and yet now as he saw the revealed word, right, God, God in the flesh, the, the word in the flesh, Jesus, is like, boom, this is the whole purpose of my life. So John the Baptist here was not saying, okay, look, now that people know that I, this this kind of this weirdo guy out there in the wilderness that eats, um, you know, locusts and was dressed like a, like a caveman kind of thing, right? He's, you know, even though he went through this and Jesus is becoming more known, and of course, John the Baptist is a known figure, very controversial one, however, he doesn't use it as leverage to expand expand his ministry, okay, or his voice to kind of overshadow Jesus. This was not a competition thing. Here what we see is Jesus' disciples begin to baptize in the same area as John the Baptist. This is not competition. I continue to stress this as we just look clearly in Scripture because how many times do we see churches kind of put a satellite campus out there or they have no communication with the previous pastors and people in communities and they start building churches almost in competition in direct competition as though they're like a Walgreens versus a CVS. And and that's what it is. They survey the land. They look at what, if it's ripe for them. If there's new neighborhoods coming in there, if there's, a, if there's a new Walmart, a new shopping center that's opening up with the Chick-fil-A attached to it, say, oh, that's a big great area to put up a church. Well, you know what? There's like 20 other churches there. They say, oh, well, yeah, yeah, but those are Methodist. And that's Presbyterian. That's over there. And that's Baptist. But they don't have a First Baptist church. You know, we got to do that. Or they don't have a non-denominational church. And, you know, we got to do that. Or they're not a central church. Or, you know, and, and they put these things out there. And it's just competition oftentimes, and it's sad. And so here, Jesus goes into the same area as John the Baptist. And it's not about competition. It's about a continuation, okay? And that is so important. And we see in this passage that John points that out with his disciples. Now, as he gets into this discussion, notice what led into this discussion. In verse 26, the disciples come to John the Baptist and says, all are going to Jesus. Remember the man that you baptized, the, the son of God, supposedly? Well, now they're going to him, but yet you're the superstar here. You're the one that 
prepared the way for him, John the Baptist. You're the one that publicly said that this is this this is the man this is the messiah this is the one you said remember in john chapter one we're we're told this is the lamb of god so i mean we gotta we gotta take action here john the baptist we gotta we gotta put an end to this we we gotta make sure that it's under our fold because basically this baptism thing uh is your thing you're known for this kind of thing. And here you have the guy that you baptized. He's taken this over and we're not in charge. These disciples of his are in charge. Now, notice in this hotly debated issue about Jesus and his disciples now baptizing, even though John the Baptist and his disciples are still baptizing because the Bible says the waters there were very plentiful. But notice where this turns the debate turns, and it's about, again, purification. Now, in this context of Scripture, either this debate is about the Jewish tradition of purifying, or this is a matter of the cleansing of sin that this debate is over. These are the New Testament references I want to share with you in a minute that kind of highlight some of these things. And now, I tend to think, yes, through the purification, the literal purification was symbolic. Now, obviously, a lot of the Jewish laws you know, went too extreme and legalistic about purification and the washing. And we're going to continue to see this as an ongoing debate with Jesus and his disciples as a way to discredit him, pretty much saying that he was a defiled individual and therefore nobody should listen to him. But I think as you take the symbolic understanding of purification that you can apply it to a, um, the, the cleansing of sin. Let me give an example. In Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says here that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now notice it says here in, in Hebrews 1 3, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now in 2 Peter verse 1, uh, 1 9, it says, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So here's the thing. This is, see, this is what John the Baptist knew, where I think his disciples didn't know. They're looking at this baptism as an act, right? To, for repentance, right? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it, it, it already was um, different than the purification in the Jewish traditional sense, right? But what they failed to understand was the ultimate person who purifies, who cleanses us is Jesus. See, John the Baptist knew that, but his disciples not necessarily knew that. And so what the disciples of John needed to know was that Jesus's baptism is valid, okay? That ultimately, he was going to be the one to take away the sins of the world. So purification was a big deal. In Mark chapter 7, we'll be talking about in later podcast, um, we see that the Jews, again, were extremely f- uh, f- offended that Jesus's disciples ate with, with hands that were what? Were unwashed, remember? And so therefore, the rulers... Um, didn't uh, think they were legit. They said they were just a defiled group, including Jesus, because they were not ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. But we know here that Jesus is clean, that Jesus is the purifier, that Jesus is using the formal ministry of John the Baptist to show, as he did with Nicodemus, you read the scriptures, they point to me. This baptism thing points to me. And so now when you look at verse 27, as we understand the perspective of this purification, cleansing, and baptism, going from John the Baptist now to Jesus, his disciples, he noticed, notice it says here in verse 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So here's the point. 
The disciples are saying, the man that you baptize is now on scene doing this with his disciples, okay? Is this a valid thing? John the Baptist is saying, before Jesus even came on scene physically here on earth, the authority that I had to do it came from him in the beginning. From the very beginning, it came from Jesus because, remember, the pre-existence of Christ, he's always existed. God, Christ is the second person in the Trinity, has always existed. He just took on a second nature, humanity, and came into the world, right? We go back to John chapter one, and you can check that out in the other podcasts that we did a few months ago about that whole thing about the deity and humanity of Jesus. So John reminds his disciples of the sovereignty and the graciousness of God. He's saying, what I have came from that man. So everything that John had, everything that he did was according to God's plan. So he knew that he was fulfilling that. See, you know what, friends? We need to take comfort in that. We need to know that what you're doing is what God has called you to do. And so when there is a debate about something, a hotly debated uh, topic or issue with, with people, if you know that God has called you to do something and you know that you're doing God's will, you're not going to fret over it. You're not going to panic. You're not going to uh, be confused. You're going to come um, to that situation with wisdom, with insight, and with peace. And John the Baptist certainly had that. He didn't come you know, to do what he wanted to do. He came to do what God had called him to do. And when that time was over, without any competition in his heart, he was going to transition to let Jesus do his thing. Now, notice in verse 29 now, it talks about this friend of the bridegroom. I think this is really insightful for John's perspective because not only does he talk about Jesus coming, you know, and giving, you know, having the authority and the authority that Jesus has gave it to John the Baptist. But he gives us insight about this friend to really teach his disciples something. Because you remember, in the Jewish culture, this friend that is used here in verse 29 acted more or less like a liaison or literally a messenger between the bride and the bridegroom during the betrothal period. So as the man, the bridegroom, was preparing his home for his future wife, before the ceremony took place, there was a friend that was appointed to be a messenger between the two. And so he would literally work out any negotiations to give any information between the future husband and the future wife. Now, likewise, what John is saying here was that he acted as a middleman in making the arrangements for the bridegroom, which is, of course, Jesus, to meet his bride, which is us, which is the church. So here's the cool insight that G, that John bears witness to, to help his disciples understand something. He says, listen, this whole time I've been a messenger. I've been the one who's gone back and forth and back and forth. And now that time is over because the bridegroom is here to encounter directly his bride. That's what's happening here. So what you're seeing Jesus do, he is here on scene to show his love. And I've had love. John the Baptist, you know, has had love for people and and faithfully showing the love that he has for God. But you know what? When Jesus came on scene, there is no greater love than the one that Jesus has. And now notice here in verses 31 through 36, points out here that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, there's been much debate, by the way, contextually speaking, of who is speaking here in verses 31 through 36, where I just, when I read it earlier, he who comes from above is above. He was of the earth, belongs to the earth, and speaks in an earthly way. Was this John the Baptist that was saying this? Or is this what John 
the writer of the gospel puts in at the very end. I tend to think in verses 31 through 36, this is actually John the Apostle adding this commentary as he it was very customarily for him to do throughout the 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 book of John, you know, his book that he's writing on behalf of Jesus. This area of uh, scripture in John chapter three, as we're ending it, shows the deity of uh, Jesus, and it's almost like John the Baptist was kind of putting a statement on what J- John the Baptist was saying. Now, notice this phrase again in verse thirty-one: "He who comes from above is above all." This term "above." refers to position, not to source. It's a confirmation that points to the fact that Jesus is God. Now, remember, John the Baptist came from the world to preach about a coming kingdom from heaven, which Jesus came from heaven. We see that in John chapter 1. Let me read to you what John says later on in John chapter 6, verse 38 through 42. It says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? See, this is precisely what I believe John the the Apostle puts into his book in response to what he puts down here from John the Baptist's perspective to his disciples about Jesus and his authority. John the Baptist came from the world, okay? Jesus came from heaven. John the Baptist had a limited ministry that was to pave the way for Jesus who has an eternal ministry. So see, there's the perspective. We're also reminded in Colossians 1 verse 18 how Peter, or excuse me, how Paul puts in perspective, he says, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body. So again, go back into the culture of John the Baptist as a Jew. He's saying, I am that liaison. I am that friend. I'm not the bridegroom. I'm not the one who is here. I love you guys, but I don't love you the way that Jesus ultimately loves you. I can tell you that you need to repent of your sins. But Jesus is going to atone for your sins. So when Paul says here that Jesus is the head of the body, John the Baptist was a messenger leading to what would be fulfilled in Christ of, you know, of the coming church. John the Baptist didn't start a church. You can say he was a revolutionary individual who started a movement of repentance through baptism and pointing to the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. But his job was not going into synagogue and going to the temple and starting a church movement. That was Jesus's responsibility. We're also told in this passage in Colossians 1.18 that Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's what John the Baptist, and that's what I believe this commentary that John the Apostle puts here in John 3, 31 through 36 is all about, is all about pointing to the preeminency, the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Now notice here in verses 32 and 33, uh, it points out here, yet not one receives his testimony. And then it says, whoever receives his testimony. Now let's jump back to the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. He who has a son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Okay. 
once again, we're talking about receiving this testimony. There will be those who will reject Jesus, just as when John the Baptist was out there. There are people who who did repent, who who were anticipating the coming Messiah, and there were those who rejected what John the Baptist was saying. So there will be those who will reject Jesus, and there will be those who will accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Remember Matthew 7, verse 13, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. And John 5, 23, that, that all may honor the Son, just as they, as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And finally here in verse 34, for he gives the Spirit without measure. John and his disciples, they had the Spirit. But they were not the initiators. They were not the creators of it. It's Jesus who gives the Spirit as He wills. So even though they were empowered by it, they were not the givers of it. Jesus is. And finally, in verse 36, I want to point this out. When it talks about whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Once again, when you look at the totality of John chapter 3, it's about salvation. It's about receiving the, the Son of God because if you believe in the Son of God, if you've received the Son of God, if you've received His testimony, you are a child of God. But at the same time, when that message is declared, it, the, the message that is also declared is that if you do reject this, you do not have the Son of God. That is important for us to understand as we conclude. Because listen, Matthew 25 verse 46 says, There will be people who will go away in eternal punishment. But there will be people who will, the righteous that is, who will go into eternal life. My friend, listen to me. As I conclude this podcast right now, if you know there are people in your life, and I know you do, that do not believe in the Son of God, they do not have eternal life. If you know someone who has rejected the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they reject Jesus as Lord and Savior, they do not believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if they were to die, they'd go to hell for all eternity. And I believe that God has placed people in our lives to not only be a witness to them about Jesus, but to share with them the gospel message of Jesus. So like John the Baptist, let's not get sucked into competition. Let's, let's not lose uh, track of what God has called us to do. And when other people come to us and they're like, well, yeah, but you know, this can't be, this can't be, this can't be. You have to put an end to this, like John the Baptist, rather than debate them back, give explanation, give them insight and say, you know what, this is what God has called me to do. And I have the peace to know that. But listen, if you don't have that peace, if you right now, as you're listening to me and you're saying, you know, I look at this passage of scripture, I know I have eternal life. I know I believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, but I'm not being obedient like John the Baptist. And I've let competition, I've let jealousy, I've let envy really destroy me. You ask the Lord right here, right now, the sound of my voice, Father, forgive me. I want to be right with you. I do not want to do things in the flesh for my glory, but I want to worship you. I want to glorify you. So hopefully that's a blessing to you, my friends. I pray that you'll continue to be encouraged as you go through the word of God. And as you go through this day, may you know this, that Jesus Christ loves you and he is the savior of the world. He, my friend, is the greatest of all time. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the word of God.